0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. (laughs) And today's co-host. God damn it, it's the same it's always been for the last couple months. Bro, there's like a procedure that we have to follow. No,
1: yeah. That we just did it. Our (laughs) co-host
0: is Curtis Hohan. Yeah. Oh my
1: god. Thanks for that awesome introduction.
0: You know what's crazy? Is I don't you know what's crazy? Is we used to be so professional when you cared. <laughs> yeah. Now you just don't care. Yeah. Yeah, so as you can see, we're we're formally kicking off our podcast again, and we're really professional. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Hey,
1: we're delirious. We're jet-lagged. We were talking about this. Well, when were we talking about this? This morning? We're in a completely different cycle.
0: I don't know. Okay. The moon is up, the sun is down. The sun is up, the moon is down. Who cares? <laughs> Today's podcast, we're doing a podcast on a great book called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging by Sebastian Younger. And I've been putting this on social media uh, recently and been making mistakes because I don't put what the book is. And everybody loves all the content of all the things that I... I it's not my content. <laughs> No, uh-huh. you've
1: been hashtagging it and been like tribe.
0: Yeah, it's tribe, and the people are like, like book "What book is that?
1: is that?" And you're like, "No, it's not a book. It's tri- it's, it's me. It's,
0: it's- <laughs> yeah, Phil Survival. It's uh, I get a mulligan
1: by the way for this episode because Mike read the book. I'm still learning how to read, and <laughs>
0: <laughs> at night we teach Kurt how to read. During the day, I'm learning books. how to read,
1: and we decided to start with tribe. So. Clifford
0: goes to Iraq <laughs> yeah. is the uh, the first book he read. <laughs> this book, which is written by Sebastian Younger, you know, Sebastian Younger, for guys that don't know, the first time that I knew or heard about Sebastian Younger was when uh, he made the documentary Restrepo. Right. And Restrepo is about a firebase, it's named after a guy who was killed in, the, I think, the first couple months of the rotation and forgive me I forget the unit but it's an infantry unit that was I think dug it was in the
1: maybe the 173rd uh, I thought it was but I'm not
0: 100% Yeah I don't want to quote that but maybe you know it was a infantry unit that was in the middle the Corngall Valley The Gall Valley which is always a shit valley I've we've been I've been to Corngall I don't know if you have but you've been in Afghanistan Right There's crap parts of Afghanistan and that's one Some of Some
1: parts the, are worse than others Yeah and anatomically. Corn, corn it's, like
0: the, it's like the taint <laughs> of Afghanistan. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a it's a great documentary about his experience with his uh, a cinematographer or his videographer that was with him and they followed these soldiers and the life that they lived on on their deployment. And it was a great illustration of the reality of war. And and what we are faced with, well, I would say we, and, and I mean a small percentage of the military and special operations and combat arms, that are exposed to to warfare. Yeah, direct combat. Direct combat, and there's a you know there's a stark contrast between direct combat and living on a fob, and living and being a fobit. <laughs> yeah, um, which is you know a forward operating base where that's similar to hell. It's it's almost like an actual base because. They got sergeant majors running around yelling at people for haircuts and uniform <laughs> yeah. standards. But for special operations and the infantry being in these remote places in Afghanistan and Iraq and now all over the world, it, life is different and you start to realize what's important in life and what's not important in life when you're fighting for your life on a daily basis. So great documentary if you haven't seen it you need to see it
1: yeah but the segue of that is i mean tribe and all the stuff that sebastian younger wrote about yeah in reference to guys that were exposed to direct combat and then this kind of identity crisis in the united states with service members getting out of the military who have served in combat zones participated in direct combat and all these different things that we hear about uh, veterans going through with out of the VA, their communities, all this different stuff. So
0: Yeah, it's, you know, the first book I, I read from him, it wasn't Restrepo, it was a book called War. I mean, right. he, he wrote a book on war and that overall experience. You know, Sebastian Younger is a, a journalist who not only was in Afghanistan before 9-11, but was also in Bosnia when uh, shit was falling apart. And, you know, he was a photojournalist I think at the time or something like that. And then, you know in the modern era of the global war on terror had a significant voice in illustrating all these points leading into uh the book tribe you know i think before tribe even came out and before we we read tribe or i read tribe and we started discussing it it's something we've always discussed which is a transitional issue that american service members have trying to immerse themselves back into Civil society right, and you know it's it's tied to p t s d but i just like tribe outlines very eloquently, it's not just about specific stress disorders or specific instances of stress, but more a transitional issue which we've talked about before right of integrating back into society
1: yeah so the the example is um leaving your military tribe per se. And then entering what what could be a tribe back into to you know the civilian world, but um, Mike's been talking to me about the book, and we've been discussing a lot of different points. And it's basically entering back into civilian life, and you don't have the same type of camaraderie uh, that you had in your your units tribe, if you will, inside of the military. And so um, there's a lot of struggle and strife for Uh, guys and some gals um, that have been exposed to direct combat Um, and so people are having or you know some vets are having kind of an identity crisis if you will about that transition.
0: It's an interesting book because it it lays out really the whole issue with I think society period especially American society And compares with a lot of data and a lot of good resources. In fact, the whole back end of the book, uh, which is source notes, is a lot of pages of references to the research that he did about this issue. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about this and we're going to, you know, beginning to really the end, highlighting some important points that me and Kurt have identified. And then giving our perspective, you know, because I, you know, hopefully Sebastian Younger listens to this because I respect the man. I think he has, he's a phenomenal human being. And the fact that he he outlined this and and basically made a book for reference for people to understand really the significant issues that service members have that me and Kurt have been exposed to and had issues ourselves. It helps educate the public on the overall process instead of just... Pointing the finger at something specific like PTSD,
1: or trying to hand us medication to say we're sick and this is going to make you better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it builds the case for us, which is advocacy for uh, American service members that the way that the system is designed now is poor and not going in the right direction. And you know we've identified some many problems and come up with few solutions that we hope to implement in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right, so starting out, you know, I'll, I kind of want to go through the book and there's important highlights that I want to get your feedback and perspective on that we could talk about because, you know, people obviously haven't read this book. Right. But there's specific instances that we've identified and highlighting where they're really the meats and potatoes of, of the book that really outline uh, the important aspects to us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that one of the most impressionable things that he did was he started off in the introduction talking about a story about a guy, you know, he was, he was traveling basically and he saw, ran into a guy who was identifying him as being lost or maybe hungry and the guy offered him a bologna sandwich, an apple and a bag of chips and the food, you know, he thought it had probably come from a local church and he didn't need the food. But... The reality is a guy saw him and stopped him to be able to help him in this instance, because not only did he see him did he, uh, did he not do this on a, on a whim, but he saw him and his de- deliberate actions and then tracked him down understanding and putting together this uh narrative for himself that hey this this kid sebastian might be might be struggling. Mm-hmm. And went out of his way to help him. You know, he says he spotted me from town and walked half a mile out of highway to make sure I was okay. Uh, You know, Robert Frost famously wrote that home is a place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. The word tribe is far harder to define. But a start might be the people you feel compelled to share the last of your food with. For reasons I'll never know, the man in Gillette, which is a a location, decided to treat him like a member of his tribe. Mm -hmm. And... You know, he points this out as being one of the most significant moments in his life that, you know, really happened every single day where people show this level of compassion that now is looked at as something scary, right? Somebody approaches you. Remember we were driving to uh, Colorado from Nevada. We did a training course. I don't think I've told... We haven't told anybody about this, right? I don't know. The dude who (laughs) rolled his car in a fucking ditch? Oh, no, we haven't. (laughs) yeah <laughs> yeah so this dude this dude, this kid rolls his car in a ditch yeah. in front of us well,
1: you remember the lead up to that we were on the highway. we were on the highway headed uh actually we we're headed back to Colorado yeah, and it was relatively early in the morning, um not too early, nine ten am and I remember sitting in the passenger side and Mike was driving, and I looked up and this kid uh, you know, probably a teenage kid, I guess, came, or he looked about that age, just a quick snapshot, but he came running up, uh, this embankment onto the, to the side of the road and was trying to wave us down and look like he was in complete distress. And he had a cell phone or something. Yeah, it was was weird. And like, he was waving us down. And, uh, so of course, Mike and I, um, (laughs) we both put our guns, we, we both put our, yeah, we both, had a pistol and we, you know, stuck it under our leg in the driver's seat. And, uh, actually I was driving. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's right. We yeah. were in my truck. Cause right? my truck yeah, broke down Your truck broke down. because we were
0: off road. The Toyota the made
1: it all the way. The Dodge didn't. Yeah, um, it was anyways, awesome. we're $5,000 later. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, we had our Glocks underneath our leg and then we pulled over to the side of the road and the kid ran up and, uh, what had happened is he had fucking fallen asleep and drove his car off an embankment and it was flipped upside down in like a creek bed and he was just banged up you know so um after we kind of vetted this guy and made sure he wasn't like a highway robber or something crazy like that um we did a quick assessment he was okay but in shock and uh you know we asked him several times hey, is there anybody else in the vehicle? And he was like, no, we're alone. Remember, it was like a yeah, weird we. conversation. Yeah, it was a weird conversation. I don't know if the kid had gotten like a TBI, a traumatic brain injury from the it's impact. Crazy. But anyways, he wasn't bleeding out or nothing crazy. So, but he was jacked up a little bit in shock. We confirmed there wasn't anybody else in the vehicle. Um, and then we gave him a ride to get cell service. We were in a relatively remote location. And uh, I think we were in Utah. And, um, and so anyways, uh, we got him down the road and got him some cell service and got the state patrol on the way to help him out.
0: I'm probably more motivated to help a animal in distress than I am a human being. Cause I feel like there's a certain level of responsibility that human beings have for themselves. So if they're not in complete distress... Um, you know, it's a uh, somebody gets a flat tire on the edge of the road. I'm not stopping and going out of my way. Right. But if somebody flips a car in front of us, if somebody's in an accident, if somebody's in distress where their life's in danger, it's not programmed. That I think mean, that's how we're bred yeah. as men because that's we grow up in an environment like where we understand we have to help the innocent. Yeah. You know, uh, free the oppressed, and uh, we wouldn't let anything happen to people in society. And so you know, you hear the story and you, you think about instances in your own life. That's not the norm in society, right? It, in fact, it's well, the, the norm complete opposite.
1: I think the norm would be to get out your cell phone and start recording, right? Uh, and absolutely. not actually help somebody. But you know, sometimes we make generalities about people and uh, that are I, true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I think there. You know, I do think there are still good people out there, and I think we associate with a lot of them, and. uh You know, the interesting part about that is that, uh, you know, we saw this happen and we did the right thing and pulled over to make sure the dude uh, was okay um,
0: because it's the right thing to do. Well, one of the important aspects of that that conversation is that in a tribe, when when you feel tied to something, when you feel part of a community, I'm not talking about like the girlfriends you go out to the freaking bar with, right? I'm not talking about, like, the dudes that you go and play flag football with. I'm talking about the, your family and your close friends that when you're a part of that community, when something happens, you help them. Right. And generally speaking, that's normal, right? We, we do that for each other. Right. But then when you're outside of that bubble, human beings yeah. belong to the same tribe. No matter the race, color, creed, it doesn't matter. And so I think the the larger point that I was getting to is is we've gotten away from that. Yeah. We've gotten away from a, a compassion or a level of compassion for our fellow human being because everything that you see in social media, in media, in politics, in business is all about dividing us, right? Separating and segregating and you know contrasting different sides of something that really at the end of the day is all the same, we bleed the same, we breathe the same, we live the same, we love the same. Yep. And so, it's created this like, this feeling of animosity that I get when I'm on social media and I'm disgusted. When I look at the news, specifically CNN, and I'm disgusted, right. when, I, when I see politicians be divisive, Yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing. One of the things he says right after that, he said, War feels better than peace, and hardship can turn out to be a great blessing and disaster, or sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. And for an instance, that kid who flipped his car is probably going to remember that more right. than significant loving or nurturing events in his life, which is which is normal, right? Right. At least normal for us. Yeah. I, I know you remember because you tell me every other day about how you got blown up in Iraq. <laughs> but that's true, right? It's, but those are, yeah. I mean, It's a distressing time right? that had a huge impact on your life that really set the stage for a lot of different things. Good, little bad, maybe indifferent, but really set the stage for how you think and how you believe and how you live. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a good example,
1: and I've talked about it a little bit before. Um, but when, you know, sometimes catastrophic things happen uh, to you. Um, you use
0: those for good rather than dwell on them and make them bad, so. Yeah. What, you know, he talks about our society and how the way our society is ran, we're, where we're kind of in a safe place, you know. We, we live in this safe place where, and we talked about it, I think we talked about it this morning, where we've kind of bred the society of complacency, where everything's safe, yeah. nothing's earned, everybody's equal. We can't even criticize one another without being <laughs> verbally abusive, <Right>. apparently, yeah. <laughs> or completely insulted. And so our society is very sensitive, right? Everything we do, oh, yeah. everything we say um, can be taken the wrong way, yeah. and then there's fuel to that fire, and then a voice to be heard in that arena, and now we're victims. Right. And it, I, don't, I don't know. It's or a, you get demonized. And, uh, you know, that's yeah. just another way
1: of, in my, this is my opinion, but watching what politicians do these days and watching how people are divided by political parties and all the other demographics that exist in the United States, it's just another way to divide us and make us weak. And they're really good at doing that. And, and it hasn't done anything positive for
0: our society. I, You know, I think... At least we are seeing trends, and maybe I could identify some of the points. But I could, I could see maybe the beginning of the end of this trend of the media spinning things and politicians spinning things because people are now better educated than they were. Yeah. Because they're better informed through technology, which is the benefit of you know technology and social media and everything else. They're not as easily influenced, and they can make their own decision. Right. So when they see media spinning something out of control, they see a politician being—it's almost like the only word I can think of is evil. Yeah. Where they're where they're saying this other politician is betraying their country and they're trying to uh, ruin your lives, when the reality is they're serving. Yeah. It reminds me of being in a team in Afghanistan, where we get like twelve strong personalities, and you're like, this dude's a shitbag. <laughs> And then I'm like, we need to kill this dude. Like, <laughs> this dude's an American. <laughs> we don't really need to kill them. Let's slow down a little bit. But it's just it's almost like a mob mentality where we just I don't maybe it's boredom. It's a product of boredom. Yeah. One thing he says, and you know, that that's that's in the introduction, guys. So, you know, yeah. there's tons of things to pull from this book, but he talks in the uh, first chapter of the men and the dogs, he says, A person living in a modern city or a suburb can for the first time in history, go through an entire day or an entire life mostly encountering complete strangers that can be surrounded by others and yet feel deeply, dangerously alone. And we do, we live in a, you, you could be in an urban, urban environment and where it's highly populated mm-hmm. and you feel completely alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, We've been all over the world and we've been mostly all over the United States and in, in major cities. And we can be in the middle of a city and feel completely alienated because we don't... There is no commonality between us and the people that are there. We might try to bridge gaps, but we, we, we're we not building the rapport. And we're just like, all right, let's kind of do our own thing. Yeah. And and that's like a, a, a larger trend of society. And I don't know what it's based on. What do you, what do you think?
1: Uh, well... So I've got a, a couple different opinions about this, but part of this, and I'll give uh, some credit to a guy on um, Instagram who's a former 75th Ranger Regiment guy, and he runs a page called Havoc Journal, and he puts um, some excellent content on there as far as um, being a voice for veterans. And and some of this I look at as being a, a problem um, of us on the veteran part of not trying to immerse ourselves back into society because we feel so different. And I think that in a lot of ways for guys like Mike and I who spent, you know, upwards of 20 years in the military um, or government contracting or whatever we did professionally, um, that the longer you do that, the harder it actually is uh, to be, you know, to be immersed back into society. So I think in a lot of ways, we really have to work a lot harder um, than uh, you know, a kid that, for example, does four years in the military and then is able to get out, get a job, and then you know, kind of uh, begin that process of, of reintegration. So when you look at a spectrum of guys, you know, I, I look at Mike and I as the far right of that spectrum, um, which is um, you know, we have a lot of interesting opinions um, based off of being on the far right of that spectrum. But, uh, the cool thing is, is I feel like, you know, Hey, we, we haven't been perfect at this transition process. Um, but we have identified a lot of things that I think that would make it a lot easier for, for people in general across that spectrum, um, to be integrated back into society.
0: I think you're completely right because it's a different perspective. It's like the, uh, You know, it's like what we talk about when you're looking at tacticians, where when you have the experience tied in with the skill set, I mean, you have to be a good teacher, but your ability to convey the message is completely different than somebody who's just maybe analytically looking at something, looking at data, for example. Yeah. We've Um, lived that life. We've lived that life. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we become smart enough, you can learn to read. (laughs) And then... We could be a little bit every better every day. Every day. To t- <laughs> <laughs> One word at a time. Yeah. One word at a time. To, today's uh, Clifford goes to Afghanistan. Yeah. We'll get <laughs> we digress. If people don't know what Clifford. They're like, what the hell is Clifford? Yeah. Google it, man. Yeah. It's a big red dog. He's cool. <laughs> um, interesting. He gives the perspective uh, Sebastian Younger does of um, some data on. You know, in America during the '70s, mothers maintain contact with babies as little as 16 percent of the time, as compared to, you know, the '80s where 85 percent of young children slept alone in their own room, and it rose to 95 percent among families considered well-educated North American Europeans. And you you look at that compared to other cultures and and other societies, and I've heard this on a podcast too with Sebastian Younger, which there's there's a good one by Tim, with Tim Ferris, where talks about yeah. kids in other cultures and other in other societies, they are with their parents all the time. Oh yeah. But we throw babies in a crib inside of a room by himself with a baby monitor, mm-hmm. and that human to human contact, that nurturing contact, is very important for a baby's growth because we're we're primates, and we're almost never left alone as primates. I'm not saying humans are primates. what I'm saying is humans um are primates that we share ninety percent of our DNA with monkeys right, and that we need that that contact because you know as he said, you know verbatim because they would be extremely vulnerable to predators, and it's true so that fear you know I think we talked about it the other day when we were, we were having coffee and we were, we were talking about um children who are exposed to less than desirable lives as as children grow up to be adults who have a lot of vulnerabilities and Mm -hmm. fears and you know that a lot of that might stem from the lack of nurturing you know that's probably a variable right absolutely so it's important that we feel like we're part of something and we're nurtured as children and as human beings that we feel like we're part of a tribe you have kids so you know you understand this process
1: i do it's interesting that we talk, um, I watched different documentaries on like National Geographic and Discovery Channel. And if you look at how other cultures live, um, in a lot of places, you know, they don't have the income to have different rooms, right? So they uh, live together as a family. So, you know, a good example is mom and dad, um, and the kids and, you know, and maybe other family members all sleep in the same room. Um, and they don't, you know, separate people into different rooms, and so there's always this uh, this human to human contact, uh, like Sebastian Younger talks about, and I've heard that podcast as well, where he talks about those different factors um, and how uh, you know the difference between American society and other societies, and how you know we're well educated, advanced, and we have this technology and all this other stuff. But on a human level, uh, we're lacking and it's um and, and by the day, right? Right. And it gets worse every day. And 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 Mike and I were actually talking about this today and I think about, you know, we through different experiences of social media and relationships and all these different things and you're you know, and people believe, you know, that certain things they see on social media are, you know, real and and all these different things and and you lose this ability to have like this common sense about life and it's just really bizarre so and and for us social media has been for me at least it's been new because before I came on to Fieldcraft Survival um, when I was still in the military I had a personal Facebook and it was just to keep in contact with family it was a fake name (laughs) (laughs) so and you know the funny part about that is is that Um, For me, I'm relatively new to social media. So I look at this and see, um, you know, comments, you know, that people make and what they think you're doing and what you're doing, you know, versus real life. And it's just, uh, it's a little bizarre to me. It's a bizarro world. Yeah, we call it bizarro world all the time. Um, Mike and I try to do a good job, though, I think, of portraying, um, you know, accurate representations of what we believe in. Um, you know, what we do, what we do for field craft um, on our pages, you know, even if it's, you know, for example, Mike's personal page, he's a pretty inspirational dude and spends a lot of time trying to motivate and be positive with people. And that's just kind of who we are at the core of our, our being, if you will. Uh, I know I'm kind of getting deep, but um, we, we use that for specific purposes, you know, and it does show a little bit of really who we are, But at the same time, you know, we don't put all of our personal information out there just because some of that stuff's private and it should be, you know.
0: I remember, you know, we we grew up in the military and living in the military in a warrior culture, which that's not debatable. That's the culture we lived in. Right. That we were used to going away. You know, our wives, girlfriends, family, friends were used to having us away. That was part of the culture. Yep. And now we're not in that culture anymore, even though we want to in yeah. some, some instances. Our family is used to not having us around. Right. But now that we're part of that, we, we want that. I mean, right. you tell me all the time, like, you want to spend time with your kids and your wife. You want to be that. I, I certainly, when I had a girlfriend, mm. wanted to, to be part of their life their life and I almost I was almost needy or clingy where I didn't want to let that go right and so transitioning into a civilian life it's a completely different world where I think we're accepting of that like that nurturing that he talks about where we want to be with the people that we love because we don't want to be alone I, you know I thought I wanted to be Mark Wahlberg because he's handsome (laughs) 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 It, you know, it's funny, the movie Shooter, he's a, he's a marine sniper, which, marine snipers are good, but special operations, green beret snipers are better, <laughs> yeah. we go to Sodic and it's just a better school. Um, they're better at stalking, though, no big deal. Not social media stalking, like stalking through the woods. They're, they're better at field craft, I think. Yeah. but we're better at everything else. But I always thought, hey, you know, I want to live that life. Like me, Pearl, (laughs) my house in the mountains. I have that life. My badass
1: bolt-action rifle. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I actually think I have that life. Yeah. But the reality is we're not designed that way. We we want to have... You know, it's funny. I I, I digress for a second into that show alone. But anyways, it's a show about where they isolate... The first few seasons of it, they isolate people. And then whoever lasts the longest lives or, or wins. That lives. Everybody dies. One survivor who lives will live yeah. and be the the winner. But they basically are in isolation, and you see how they are broken down by the fact that they're separated by loved ones. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have many people in my circle. Like I think you and your wife and your kids are like literally it. <laughs> in Pearl. Yeah. So I have very few people in my circle, and so for me it's not that difficult to be isolated and be alone. But for somebody who's immersed in that environment, who's used to that. It would be very difficult, yeah, it would be very difficult to live our lifestyle, oh yeah, can you imagine a family man who works a nine to five coming coming home every single day to spend time with his wife and kids, and every weekend now he has to go to Afghanistan for nine months and fight on the front lines of war yeah it just it's just not going to happen, right, in fact, it'd probably cause a lot of uh psychological issues,
1: yeah, well, I mean a a good example of that too, and I saw this early on in my career. Uh, during the invasion of Iraq, we, you know before that we didn't really um there wasn't conflict, right? So it was a garrison army um you know or you know Afghanistan and Iraq, right? When when we went to war in both of those places. But for the most part guys weren't deploying, going away, getting used to that. And I saw it my first trip uh you know with other guys it was their first trip and unfortunately um you know their marriages fell apart, you know, their um personal relationships i mean and it just destroyed guys you know and um obviously there's different factors there family dynamics and different things that were going on um but it was like the beginning you know where we saw what happened when all these you know we were all in the garrison army spending time it was a nine to five job essentially or whatever zero six to you know whenever your nco let you off or whatever but still Guys that had families went home, saw their wives, their kids. You know, it was somewhat uh, normal. And then we started going to combat, and that completely changed everything.
0: It was scary, right? I remember... Hell, I remember dudes were killing their wives. Oh, just crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like stuff you don't even want to talk about because it's just like... Makes us look bad. Right. (laughs) But you're right, it was a transition. It was a weird transition where now... People had to be on their own. Oh yeah. And our our family units and little tribes that we we had that leads into actually into loyalty where they weren't you know wives that were back home weren't loyal you know and it's vice vice versa it's right. not just women but there was a lot of guys that I know whose wives were cheating on them. Right. Kevin Treader, remember that story Kevin tells. <laughs> Kevin Kevin owns Warrior Woven on Instagram and he's he's an inspirational teammate of ours. Uh, for the
1: record he's married now and she's an awesome woman she's so great. it's not
0: her it was a, a previous <laughs> yeah so yeah hope no offense Alicia <laughs> yeah yeah she knows about this but she's a you know that, that whole deal at the Olive Garden like it, shit went bad right and that, that was typical in that time period which leads into the discussion about loyalty you know you know he says in this uh, in a quote he says what, what tribal people would consider profound ter- portrayal of the group modern society simply dismisses as fraud so you know in these in these cultures these warrior cultures that were tribal right it, that are tr- still tribal you know uh, betrayal of the group was completely looked at as this profound level of disloyalty that was banishment sometimes death right and and for us now it's just like it's no big deal. Ah, fuck it. I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm yeah. just moving on. You know, we talked about like swiping I'll just swipe uh, left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it I I've, I've been in relationships and I'll 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 discuss this a little bit, but this whole phone thing, right? You have a you have a small piece of technology that connects you to the world. Right. Which, if used in the right way, can connect you it's a, a huge benefit to connect you to the world, and networking, right. business, <laughs> yeah. and everything else. Hell, I run a business. We run a business off of our phones, yeah. and we have that luxury. So it's a, it can be a great thing. But the reality is, when used for evil, it could be an absolutely horrible thing. Right. I remember being in relationships where I've said, "Hey, people might, women might harp on me for this, but I've let, literally like, who are you talking to? Yeah. Well, if I'm in a relationship with somebody." it's not a it's not a god-given right but it's a mutual respecting where I would expect that if you're texting somebody and if it's not a big deal that you would it's you would tell me communicate that right but where I've sensed this deception where you know hiding your phone or putting your phone upside down or 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 masking your incoming text that's deception that's yeah. that's uh that's banishment from the tribe that's banishment from the tribe that's uh, a crime that, <laughs> that's banishment uh, yeah that means you'll be banished and but for us, it's like this no big deal. And so there's this level of disloyalty in our society, especially with the ones that we love. Yeah. That's no longer significant, no longer important. Right. And that hurts, man. That hurts in relationships. That hurts seeing, being a part of, and just knowing that that's going that exists. On? Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It says, modern society, on the other hand, is a sprawling and anonymous mess where people can get away with incredible levels of dishonesty without getting caught. Right. And that's the truth. Yeah. I mean... I look at this, well, in a, in
1: some different ways, and, and one of the things that was easy for us to... Not easy for us to fall back on, but in the military, you have a standard, you know, and, and maybe this doesn't quite equate to, you know, uh, your social interaction and stuff like that, but... There's a standard. You have to meet the standard and live by a standard, you know, in order to be part of the society, the warrior society. And have respect. Yeah, exactly.
0: You uh, earn your respect.
1: Yeah, exactly. Through, you know, combat deployments and um, how good of a teammate you are and all these different things, right? You learn all these things in this warrior society inside of special operations. And the absolute worst thing that could happen to you is that you're banished uh, from that society. PNG'd. Yeah. You're, you know, pers- you know you'll know, you hear people say PNG or persona non grata, but you know, it's, it's the absolute worst fear. So much of a fear that actually Mike and I <laughs> Constantly. still, we reach back to our buddies who are still on active duty and we make sure, because we know that guys look at stuff and, and we also know that there'll people, there'll be people out there that Um, won't agree with everything we're doing. We're okay with that. But you don't care. Right. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to be banished from that warrior society that we grew up in and fought so hard to be a part of. And, um, so there's still a lot of, uh, you know, things that we think about that way. When, even when we're doing stuff for fieldcraft, when we post pictures, when we talk about things, we're constantly looking at that stuff and saying, Hey, should we put that out there? Should we do this? Should we do that? So. Um, Anyways, good example of, uh, um, you know, what we uh, were a part of, uh, what we're still a part of, even as veterans, and not being banished from that warrior society.
0: I remember early on when I was learning social media and trying to navigate it and be a good pillar for the community, I posted something that was inappropriate. I'll tell you what it is. I posted a picture of a working dog that was killed. Right. And I was there when he was killed. And my my objective in that was to post it, making people understand the realities of war. Right, and that these dogs sacrifice their lives. I've been saved by a Malinois named Vinny um, downrange in Iraq, and so this particular military working dog was killed, saved his handler, saved many special operations guys that were on the ground, and I got reached out to by guys who were in the organization at the time. Right. And dude, when that happened, I shut that stuff down as fast as I humanly possibly could. Right. Because nothing matters more to me than the opinions which I respect of the men who I serve with in special operations. Right. I I really give a shit what a civilian says to me about a particular instance, especially when it's military related. Right. I read all the comments and feedback, but when that happened that that really bothered me because then i knew you know and i said hey man i apologize like i don't want to get png'd yeah which i'm not (laughs) um for everybody who's wondering uh, i'm not so when i found that out i removed it and apologized i actually contacted the the handler and actually made a formal apology because i don't want to ever disrespect special operations The the tribe yeah absolutely he says among hunters and gatherers bullying males are often faced down by coalitions of other females, but that really happens in modern society. And I remember telling a story on something, I can't remember what it was, maybe it was a podcast, or maybe, no, no, it was actually a, an Instagram or social media post. But when I was in elementary school, fourth grade, I was a big kid, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big kid or a big, <laughs> Big fat kid. I'm still a big fat kid. <laughs> big fat kid. And when I was in fourth grade, I was a bit bigger than all my peers. Kids used to pay me to protect them. Like, I literally remember being paid by little. You're like a little Korean dudes. gangster. I was. At school. I was. It was my first contracting job, my <laughs> independent first independent contracting gig. Yeah. But I was paid by kids, quarters, dollars, to protect them from bullies. I remember getting bullied myself where I told my dad he didn't do anything about it. He's <laughs> a horrible man. But I literally was being jumped in the mornings for my lunch money. Mm. And I had, I don't even know its name, it was like assistant poor lunch. Like we were poor growing up. Yeah. And so we got the assistants because it's just my dad. My dad didn't make, make a lot of money. And I got a quarter every morning to use for a bowl of Rice Krispies and two milks. Yeah. And that was a staple of my diet. Like, mm-hmm. if I didn't eat that, dude, I was starving. Yeah. And so, I was getting jumped from my quarter every morning. And then I remember my dad telling me to stand up for myself, and I punched this kid in the nose, almost broke his nose, as a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that sometimes it took physical violence to stop evil men. Yeah. And so, that doesn't exist in our society because... Dude, the bar. The bar. Yeah, it's getting bred out. (laughs) The bar. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Me and Kurt were in a bar in Colorado. And this dude starts talking, running his mouth. We don't hang out in bars normally, by the way. (laughs) We actually actually weren't even... uh, We don't hang out at bars. We're not bar flies, but we like having beers. Yeah, we went to relax to have some beers. Yeah, not looking for any drama. Yeah. But but drama seems to find us. (laughs) (laughs) And so this dude's... Like literally I, We didn't know he was intoxicated But he's talking to people Rudely And trying to intimidate people Right Long story short I pipslapped the dude Kurt almost beats up his buddy We get we kick ourselves out of the bar Yeah we, we left We go back to pay
1: We de-escalated
0: Yeah we go back to pay And then everybody Even the most calmest The calmest people there Were more worked up than we were Yeah um, We don't get really worked up And they were upset because we resorted to physical violence. Yeah. I don't feel guilty about it. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes, you know, here's my, here's my thought process on it. It's like the kid who used to bully me for quarters. My dad told me, literally, I came home with my ass beat one day. I remember the kid's name, I remember the situation. I was in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I came in and I was crying. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, this kid's been bullying me, and he beat me up. He said, son, go back outside, and stand up for yourself. So I, I literally took this dude's, this kid's head, and I kneed him in the face, <laughs> and had blood on my knee. And I come home, come home, like a savage. <laughs> and my dad's like, "What's going on?" I was like, "I beat that kid up." And he's like, "I'm proud of you, son. What'd you do?" And I showed him my knee, and I had blood on it. He's like, "Oh, <laughs> let's not do that." Yeah. Another instance, because since I'm telling stories about beating people up, I, I wasn't a bully. I never picked on kids. But a girl was picking on me. She was, literally, racist. Dude, I thought I was a white kid growing up. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't realize my eyes were Asian. I wore cowboy boots and like NASCAR, Harley Davidson. Like that's my life. Right. And then <laughs> I started growing up with mean kids, and they're like Ching Chong, whatever. And I'm like, What does that even mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like the whitest kid that there ever is. I'm the whitest Asian kid you've ever met. It made no sense to me, and so this this little girl used to pick on me, and. She would make fun of me, and she'd ride by her bike, and she'd throw sticks at me. And I told my dad, and he's like, take up for yourself. <laughs> dude, I swear, God. I got a
1: hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it, it might as well have been a hand grenade. <laughs> it's like God did this for me. This girl was riding her bike across the street, calling me Ching Chong Chang, yelling at me. She had already hit me with a stick. She got on the opposite side of the road and was riding her bike. I was, Dude, I was seven years old, yeah. eight years old. I picked up a stone. It was like it was like David and Goliath. I chucked this rock, and this thing, dude, I put like a ten foot lead on this,
1: and it It hit her in the temple. I like saw
0: I saw a trace on this rock, (laughs) and had to do a wind call. Yeah, dude, it hit her in the side of her head and knocked her off her bike, and it was like a hundred meter throw, bro. Of course, that's exaggerated. It was like ninety five meters. But she goes down, and she starts crying. She goes home, and her parents come to my door, or my dad's door. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I didn't tell my dad at the time. So she comes out like a rag on the side of her head, and her mom's ye- yelling and freaking out. And my, my dad's like, what happened? And, you know, he turns around, and I was like, she was making fun of me. I took it up for myself and hit her in the head. And he looks back at the little girl and his mom, and because and, he knew about the situation, about her picking on me and throwing, hitting me with sticks and stuff, yeah. and said... Your little girl shouldn't be picking on my son and shut the door. And I I realize that sometimes you you have to resort to violence, man. Yeah. When you're being met with violence, this passive attitude towards that of non-confrontation to me is nauseating.
1: Well, the other thing is it's not realistic. I mean, if you break people down to the basic human level, it doesn't happen. Um, and, and you and I have lived that through combat and obviously our personal experiences, right? And I'm, I'm sure a lot of other people have that are listening. Um, and that's fine, you know, at a certain level, uh, I think, to teach your kids about de-escalation and, and some things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, they also have to know how to, to protect themselves. And so that's important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not an advocate for violence. Yeah. I mean, we're not, Yeah. But but we will knock your fucking ass out. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%, man. And I think that's the problem with our society now is, you know, you look at it, when you look at ISIS, all these people, there's, there's the, yeah, those people, they're like, we need to go and communicate with these people. They just need love. We need to talk to them. We need to change our ideology. Yeah. Yeah, do that, and they'll drag you out of your Toyota Hilux in the middle of nowhere and chop your head off. Right. And in an instance, they will kill you and your family. That's the extreme version of it but the same thing with bullies who get away with it on a daily basis because they can. Right. Because nobody's confronted them. In fact, I feel like I'm doing them a favor. Guess what that dude cuz we could talk to the uh, bartender? That dude hasn't been back to that bar. Right. And he probably won't pick on people. Pick pick on people anymore, especially if we're in the bar. Yeah. And that's not like a boasting thing. That's not like we're badasses. I mean, we are <laughs> and, and, and on a certain level, but it's it's this, hey man, maybe we're doing a favor. Maybe we're we're confronting this and we're doing people a favor, right? Kurt's giving me the pointy talky finger thingy. i <laughs> saying you need to shut up. Um, I drank five coffees. Yeah. And so yeah, I do need to shut up. So this is going to obviously be a part two, and I, I like this man because yeah. this is. It feels good to talk about this well, stuff. We,
1: yeah, and the cool thing about this too is that we well, one the fact that you got the book and started kind of digging all this stuff up, and it's these are conversations that. Mike and I have had for uh, you know months about all these different experiences of uh, of our reintegration back into society and how we deal with that and how we do things. And I think the overall end state of this is one, to help educate uh, our listeners on what that process is like so they can figure out how to be part of the tribe and help people reintegrate and also... Um, we are want to be positive influences for other guys, our brothers and sisters that uh that decide to, you know, whether it's retirement or they end up getting out to pursue another endeavor or something, uh we hope that just by listening to this content and watching Mike and I nug through some of this stuff um that it helps people.
0: That's the that's the overall end state that yeah. we've talked about, and that's many times. the end
1: state of our podcast in general. What whatever we talk about, right? Whether it's night vision, survival kits, overseas travel, the tribe, everything is about uh, helping educate people and giving people a different perspective. So Hashtag
0: Philcraft Tribe. That's what Philcraft we're about. Tribe. Yeah. Yeah, we just we want to breed this culture, and we you know Sebastian Younger has laid it out eloquently. That's the word of the day. Yeah. And to where it's understandable for civilians to understand this. Sure. As well.
1: Yep. Great book. Um yep. I'm learning how to read. So yep.
0: Clifford, Clifford goes to Syria.
1: Clifford goes to the tribe.
0: Yep. We we uh you know, we don't get paid for this podcast. Right. I think we're the we're the probably the top I don't think anybody like we're in the top five most of the time in our category. Right. Competing with Bernie Sanders and uh soft rep. You think and, Bernie
1: Sanders talks about the tribe? <laughs> Never. He wants a he wants a tribe. Dude's but it's loaded. a different
0: kind of tribe. Yeah, he wants a uh, yeah. <laughs> he's he's definitely uh, whining and dining. There's that dude's not struggling at all. Yeah. I keep mentioning this. Uh, we don't get paid thing. Hopefully one. Hopefully somebody will be like, you know what? We're gonna pay them for that podcast. And I could do that full time. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Somebody out there. Yeah, we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you want to support us, just go buy a hat. I don't know. Yeah. Buy a Phil Craft survival kit, a hat. Uh, go on PhilCraftSurvival.com or, you know, interact with us. Yeah. That's support as well. Go yep. on, subscribe, leave a, leave good feedback. Don't leave negative feedback because we'll just delete it. <laughs> um, but that's a support enough for us, man. And we do this for a living and, and we're happy to do so because it's, it's our passion. Yep. This is probably going to be like a part five series. because know. This is pretty long. This is, this is long. deep. So. This is deep stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And... Uh, I think we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive.